You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. This is Ruv English and I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company today. I am in the stunning town of Siglifjörður on a very, very bright day. And my guest today thinks that maybe summer is finally here at the very least, poking its way over the mountaintops. Daniel Pieter Danielson joins me today. I'm at the Herring Era Museum in Siglifjörður. And well, we use the singular there, but there are three buildings and more on the way. Yeah, the museum has uh, three buildings. Uh, one of the buildings is uh, original. It was uh, a salting station in the old days, built in 1907. But uh, yeah, we are in three buildings and we are expanding and uh, hopefully next year we will have the fourth fourth one. This is a big museum because it has all of these buildings. You can hear us walking from the, uh, maybe the largest of the buildings where the boats are housed. We're walking down towards a red building, as I say, right in the center of, of Siglifjörður. What's in this first building that we're going to see? This is the salting station and uh, in there the focus is on uh, uh, the history of the Herring era. You can see, uh, uh, for example, uh, living quarters of the Herring girls that used to live there and the office of the manager of the salting station and and, uh, and stuff like that. And it really was everything in terms of the independence that it gave not just to Icelanders, but I, I guess the independence from the big cities, from the capital. If you lived in Siglifjörður and you were part of the herring industry, you had that independence. You weren't reliant on the capital in the way that maybe you might have been. Yeah, it's true. Um, the Herring era did, uh, well, great things for us and for, for Iceland in general. I sometimes say that we would probably be, still be living in turf houses if it wasn't yeah. for the Herring. We talk about the Herring era. How far back in time are we going here? The Herring era or the Herring adventure, like we like to call it here in this town. It, it started for us in 1903 when uh, Norwegians came sailing into this fjord with their boats full of Herring. And uh, they quickly realized that this was an ideal place to build up this industry because, uh, um, well, the herring was just swarming outside the fjord. It didn't take long to, to sail out, fill the boats and sail in again. And uh, this, uh, in, in 1903, there were only about 250 people living here, uh, mostly farmers and fishermen, fishing for cotton and for, sh uh, for shark. But in only 43 years, this town uh, grew up to be the fifth biggest town in Iceland with uh, 3,100 people. And that was all down to the herring? All because of the herring, yes. Yeah. We'll jump ahead a bit to 2023, which is where we are now. How big a part does herring play in the life of the town now, if at all? Well, the only herring industry in the town today is this museum. Yeah. So. Uh, but I would say that it plays a big part because uh, the museum, last year we got just uh, we got around 30,000 people here for uh, that visited us so I would say it plays a pretty big part how did it end then and and why did it end was it overfishing was it that more money could be made in other industries uh, yeah we uh, in the old days we didn't have any quota system so uh, uh, people were just fishing wildly yeah. and uh, well we depleted the herring stocks that is Icelanders Norwegians and, and Russians so yeah, it was basically overfished. Okay. 
But as you say, the economy of the town benefits hugely from this incredible museum spread across three buildings with another one on the way, which we'll touch on. So let's now go up the steps then, if we may, to the red building, which is the one that's furthest left if you're coming into the town from the south. It's hard to miss the Herring Museum, the Herring Era Museum, because it is spread across these three huge buildings. Right in front of me, there's a, this is a photo, isn't it? This it's is been, a photo, yeah. This is a photo of the town as it would have been in... 1946. Uh, Bustling is the yes. word that springs to mind. Lots of boats. Lots of boats. And uh, I, the herring season, it, uh, it started uh, in late June or, and ended in uh, late August or beginning of September. And when the herring season started, people from all over the country came here to work. Yeah. So there were sometimes 12,000 people here in town during that time. And as you can see, all the boats there. If, if, for example, the weather was bad and the sailors needed to seek shelter from the storm, yeah. they would also come in, in the fjord. And there were days that there were up to 20,000 people in the town. Right. Today, it's 1,200. 1,200, yeah. so it's, it's substantially a greater number than currently. The herring that were caught here, did they play as important a part anywhere else in Iceland, did they exist in such large numbers anywhere else, or was this very much a, a Siglifjörd thing? Siglifjörd was the biggest herring port of them all. You can see here we have a, a map how it was compared to other places. The next uh, biggest place isn't even half what Siglifjörd had. The barrels here mean uh, salting station, and this means factories. 20, 20. 27, uh, there were, at most, there were 27 uh, salting stations, like we we're standing in, operating at the same time, and nine factories. Those By comparison, Akareri has six, Husavik five. Uh, Sithisphere, though, is probably the next biggest with, what, nine? Yeah. But that really does show just how important herring was. As you say, we're in one of what was one of the 27 salting stations yeah. here. What would have gone on in here? How did the salting happen? The salting uh, was uh, all done outside. So uh, there is a long grey box outside this building and uh, the herring would be loaded there. And by the, those boxes was the place of the women, and women in the herring industry. They were always referred to as the herring girls. Didn't matter how old they were, if they were 10 or 12 or 70 or 80 years old. But always female. Always female uh, cutting the herring. They would cut the head off, drag the guts out, and then they would place the herring into a container that was next to them. And when that container was almost full, they would mix uh, salt with the herring, and then they would uh, place them in, in a barrel. Mm -hmm. uh, but they couldn't just scoop it in. They needed to place it in a precise way, one by one. So it was, for the women, a back-breaking job. Yeah, it doesn't sound very rewarding. Was it, was it well paid? It was extremely well paid, yeah. uh, um, especially for, for women, because a fast-working herring girl, like my mother, for example, was, yeah. she could salt between three and four barrels an hour. Barrels? Barrels an hour, yeah. Okay. How many that, fish are we talking there, then? Well, it depended on, on the size. Yeah, it yeah. could be from maybe 250 and up to 400, 400, 500. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, it's a lot of fish. Yeah. And it was hard work, but uh, we have interviewed a lot of people that worked in, worked in this industry. And everybody talk about how great this job was. It was, uh, it was so much fun. Yeah. The herring girls, they were always competing. They wanted to be crowned the herring queen of the summer with most barrels salted. And the town was, as, you, as we have mentioned, full of people. 
So uh, love was in the air. Yeah. So uh, the, the town was just booming in, in those days. There's a lot to see here. If you're in the room that I'm standing in, lots of exhibits, lots of artifacts from that time. Here is a display case with the tins that the herring was sold in and a variety here. Uh, these are the, the, the cans that you, I guess, you might have seen sardines being packed in cans such as these with the key to turn the metal back and open up the tins. But so many different brands here. How, how far afield did the herring from Siglifjörður go? I can see some Russian writing on here and some other languages too. Yeah, it, well, um, our biggest buyers uh, of herring were uh, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, um, uh, Germany, uh, Russia, and uh, USA. So the herring from Iceland went, went uh, all over, basically. And a lot of it from this town. Uh, yes, we have numbers. We can see in our, in our records that uh, the herring industry provided uh, around 44% of all Iceland's export at its best. And half of it came just from this town. Gosh. So you can see how massive this industry was. Yeah, so here. that's a fifth of the economy then, yeah. pretty much. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And that's, that's a bigger percentage than tourism is now. Yeah. So th that, is, that is extraordinary. And for half of that, as you say, to come from one town is, is quite incredible. Yeah. There's an accordion here, which is not, <laughs> not an item I necessarily expected to see. The herring fishing that went on and all the processing, did that lead to cultural uh, outcomes, music and, and song? Yeah, we have a lot of songs uh, related to the herring. And uh, I mean, uh, during uh, those years, uh, there were dances every night. Mm -hmm. I mean, people needed to have fun along with uh, all the work they were doing. Yes. So there are a lot of songs uh, that are related to the herring. and. Uh, and this must have been a great time to be a, a musician. Yeah, well, I'm looking here at photos of a variety of bands and artists. There's a band up in the top left there playing the uh, accordion, and we've got, I suppose you might call them beat combos. What were the 1940s, 1950s represented here? Yeah, yeah. I believe so, yeah. yeah. And tickets for their performances at various yeah. local venues as well. And this music lives on, doesn't it? We sometimes uh, have a... a a concert here that are and we are playing uh, the songs that are, are our songs you can yes yeah like songs related to the herring and uh, and the old days so it lives on and hopefully it will keep living living <laughs> Ekki er spurningum öllum þó svarandi um það sem skeði þar. Þær voru indælar andvöku næturnar upp í hvanneira skál. Þar að hann sínirnir og efu dæturnar áttu sín leyndar mál. here with this uh, this photo that I tell people that this is my we're just looking at another before we leave this building we're looking at another huge display a photograph of the town from when this is from 1938 and this is the house you're standing in okay and here you can see how it was the life uh, absolutely surrounded by barrels as far as the eye can see being stand. stacked on their side on the end to end these uh, big rackets here were empty because uh, uh, 
a, barrel, a full barrel of herring would weigh about 160 kilos. Okay. So <laughs> it's about two here, human beings. Yes. So these here, they were stacked in, stacked in three. Uh, these are full. But the, the mountain of barrels in the middle isn't because it would simply have been too heavy. But yeah, just yeah. a huge number of, of barrels. And as you, as you say, in the left-hand side of the picture is the, the house that we're standing in just now, which was one of the 27 salting stations. We're going to move to the, I think, the middle building and the largest building, which is where the boats or some of the boats are, are housed. And I've heard tremendous things about that section in that it's unusually impressive. What kind of response do you get then from people who maybe aren't coming to Siglifjord necessarily just to see the, the Herring Era Museum, but maybe they stumble across it or they've heard things about it. What kind of response do you get? Uh, people are quite often surprised. We get uh, a lot of, lot of uh, uh, tours here. Yeah. And uh, their guide tell them they're going to a Herring Museum. So people think fish. <laughs> and that makes it so surpri uh, surprising for them to come here and, and see all this history and yes. uh, uh, what it meant for this town. Yeah, well, it, it's definitely not just about fish. It's an excellent point because what we've seen already and what I think the museum will show us is just how important to the town as it was and the town as it is now to have that industry and to have such a big share, as you said earlier on, half of this massive industry came from this town. Yeah, that's true. It's huge. It's huge, 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 yes. It plays a big part in just who we are today. Will it come back, do you think? Is there a desire, I don't know whether herring particularly because of the overfishing will ever come back, but is there a desire to fish in the same way or to have that industry back here? It will never be the same because, uh, but First, uh, uh, the ships today, mm -hmm. they are so advanced compared to the old boats. So they're like floating factories. Yeah. So they basically can fish as much, one or two new ships today can fish as much as uh, the whole fleet in the 30s or 40s. So uh, it will never be the same. But I yeah. sometimes say still that we have a new herring season. Yeah. But the new herring is called tourist. Without doubt. <laughs> Is there a risk that Iceland will become too dependent on tourists? Will it overfish for tourists, I guess, is the question. There's, I think there's always a risk. We need to, uh, uh, we need to be careful. We, uh, we, we must not uh, uh, overflow the country with, with uh, tourism. So uh, I believe we, we have to be careful. We need to, uh, we need to get tourists... Uh, uh, travelers to to come into the country, not just in in Keflavik, just mm. yeah, yeah, Akureyri, Eyjafjallajökull, yeah, yeah. different places. And getting those international flights up and running properly from Akureyri and I guess Eyjafjallajökull as well in the east is going to be important. A couple of airlines have had difficulties there, but I think if it is, you know, going to be possible to come into the country in places other than Keflavik, that can only be good for the for the north and the east. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think it would be uh, a game changer for us because, uh, well, before the, the, the new tunnels, the Hjernesfjallarkung, mm. were, were open in 2010, this used to be a dead end. So uh, uh, we didn't see any tourists here until just uh, beginning of June. Yeah. And uh, after the second weekend in August, nobody came. Yeah. So that has changed a lot, uh, the tunnels. And, I mean, if you get more tourists to come in, for example, to Akureyri, uh, 
the, the season will, will grow and yeah. get longer. So. And this is also the town where Trapped or Five yeah. was filmed. It wasn't set here, it was set in, say, this further in the East, but it was filmed here. And there must be a little bit of a sideline there as well in showing some tourists who watched that very successful TV show where it was filmed. Yeah, yeah, many people uh, are, uh, are asking questions about Trapped. And I tell them always to, to look at the, the first series, third episode, yeah. the, uh, uh, the sailor in white uh, sailor trousers. That is me. <laughs> Half of the town played uh, an extra in the show, so it's, it's, it's uh, nothing remarkable. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but uh, it was really fun to, to yeah. uh, experience this. All right, back to the herring era. Uh, after that sort of brief diversion into uh, into what Sigelfjordur might mean currently for some people who come to visit the town, we are in a huge building, and you can probably hear the echo, give you a sense of just how big this building is. And in front of me is a huge ship, SK33 Tier. Tell me about the the, the vast ship or boat in front of me. Yeah, this uh, boat was built in 1946. Uh, it was last used uh, in Sjöðkrókur. Uh, it had been there for uh, a few years, just uh, uh, declining. Mm. And uh, it was rescued to here. And we have actually another big boat behind it. Uh, the boats were placed here and we built the house around them. Okay. And I did wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got them in here. And uh, people are allowed to go on board and explore the boat. So oh, can we do that? Let's, we let's, do that. Let's, let's go on to the boat and, and, and see what it would have been like. When would this last have sailed then? Uh, just before uh, around uh, 1990 something. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But when, when it became obvious that overfishing was a, a problem and the industry started to decline, when would that have been? I've read that people were starting to talk about it in, uh, in the 50s. Okay. But uh, the men that were uh, earning all this money yeah. out of, uh, from, the, from the fisheries, they wouldn't listen. So it ended like it did. Yes. Uh, but there were signs even then that there were maybe too many fish being taken in the 50s. Yeah, 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 it was, it was. Um, the herring was a, was a tricky fish, or is a tricky fish. Uh, we sometimes got uh, a lot of it, more than we expected. Yeah. Then the next year, it was less. Uh, there's a great story about uh, a factory they built in, in Dupavik. Um, they built it in 1934, uh, so it was up and running in 1935. The owners, they applied for a foreign loan and, and hired people and everything. Everything was ready before the summer of 1935. Mm. Not one herring came into the factory that summer. Not one. It, it was uh, a really, really bad year. Mm. Mm. So they applied for another loan to be able to, to try again next year. That, uh, in the summer of 19, 1936, was the biggest herring summer that had come. So they paid up the two loans and the the factory made gold after that, yeah. until it was closed. Well, we've come round to the other side of the boat. Boat or ship? Well, <laughs> I, I would say a boat. Okay, let's go with boat. Yeah. We've come round to the other side of the boat yeah. tier. I'm not usually great on boats. I don't have great sea legs, but this one is very firmly not going anywhere. So can we go up these yeah. um, steps here? There's a, a little step-like arrangement that will take us into 
into tier into the boat like i say if this was a a boat that was on the water i'd be <laughs> a bit less comfortable than i am at the moment but anyway this doesn't look like it's been reconstructed this looks like it is i guess as it was when it was uh, no longer useful yeah everything uh, in the museum is authentic and we want to keep it that way yeah. so yeah it hasn't uh, we haven't done much uh, to this boat would these have been for sales no, no these are they, for, these are... for the net, net baskets okay so and... there's a big net basket hanging up here yeah. on a series of chains which would have been lowered into the water presumably to scoop up the fish a boat like this would have uh, one or two per seine boats uh, with per seine nets and the smaller boats would uh, circle the herring swarm and and uh, and drop the net along the way the net was then pulled towards uh, this big boat and then they would use this big net basket to, to scoop the herring in. And directly below it, there is a hatch. Yeah. Is this presumably where all the fish would fall down through? Yeah. And when this was full, they would just have it up, up here where we are standing. On, onto the deck as <laughs> well. Yeah. So there were that many fish. Yeah. It would fill up the entirety of yeah. the lower deck. Every space was used. And I've seen photographs of boats coming into the fjords, and it's, yeah. it seems like they're sinking. It must have felt that it was never going to end. You can almost understand why people would have thought in the 40s and 50s, well, there are, we've got so many fish, we, it, the boat is literally overflowing. How could this ever end? Yeah, I mean, um, we weren't uh, doing any research or, or anything, so yeah. I think uh, people just didn't think about, about it. We've not really talked about the, the danger that would have come and does come with fishing whenever anyone goes out to perform that activity. It's a high-risk activity, and many, many, many souls have been lost over the years. It was quite dangerous in the old days to go out on sea, and, but the herring fisheries, they were considered uh, not as dangerous, for example, as the cod fisheries, because uh, the boats didn't need to sail that far out. The herring was just, like I mentioned before, just swarming outside the fjord, mm. so it didn't have to go far out to, to fill the boat and come in come in again because there were just so many and did they yeah. did boats have to go further right once the numbers started to fall uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the area of the herring uh, was from the westfjords and all the way to the east and Siglifjord was just right in the middle yeah. of it so it was quite big they actually started to use uh, airplanes in 1928 to for, to search for the herring <laughs> It was really uh, expensive uh, in those days, in 1928. Yeah. But as the boats got bigger and uh, they could catch more herring at a time, you could rent uh, a herring for uh, rent an airplane for the whole summer just uh, after one good catch on the boat. <laughs> and uh, it was worth doing the because the chances of getting this this gold. I mean, yeah. herring translates into Icelandic as Seat. silver. Is what springs to mind there. Uh, yeah. Something valuable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, the herring was uh, uh, the silver of the ocean. Yeah. But yeah. it was also the gold of Iceland because of what it did to our economy. There's another boat, as you said, a smaller one behind uh, the tier on which we are standing. Is this from the same, the same era? Yeah, this one is built in 1954, and it's, it's quite special. Uh, there was a, a farmer that built this boat. Uh, in, I think it was in Eyjafjörður. It's a remarkable boat. And like the tier on which we're standing, incredibly well preserved in this huge hall. 
We have another building to look at here at the yeah. museum, don't we? Yeah. We have the factory. We have a replica of a herring factory that was operating between 1935 and 45. So you should uh, take a look in there. <laughs> So this is, as you say, a replica of the environment that people would have worked in. <laughs> it's a, yeah. a, a clock with a ticket system, people literally clocking in to start their shifts. So we, we talk about a factory. It's obviously a processing factory. What kind of processing did the herring go through? Well, the herring was uh, loaded into, uh, into a boiler uh, and was boiled, uh, so all the fluids would... Uh, uh, Get, get loose, mm -hmm. and uh, the fluid was uh, sent to uh, uh, the separators, and uh, the rest of the herring uh, mass was uh, pushed forward to, uh, to a press. The press pressed the rest of the fluid out and uh, made a, a kind of like a herring cake. Okay. It's not the cake that you want with your coffee, though. No. <laughs> and the cake was then uh, uh, pushed into a, to a, to a grinder, and uh, from that they made the herring meal. And the fluids, of course, uh, uh, the separators separated the, the water and, uh, and the oil. So, so, so there are lots of long, thin and huge cylinders, or a few at least in this particular room. The one that I'm standing in front of, there's a, what looks like a pressure gauge or a temperature yeah, this gauge. This is the boiler. This is the boiler yeah. with this long cylindrical shape. And, and at the end as well, one massive wheel, which is the, a cog of some kind. Yeah, there's a, there's a snail inside. Okay. So it pushes, it, uh, pushes the herring forward to the next, next station. Basically. And you talked about the numbers of herring that would have been gutted by a single worker how many herring or how much herring would this factory get through and process in a, in a day or a week or a year? Well, that's a really, really good question. <laughs> a lot. A, a lot, <laughs> yes. That, that's, the, that's the answer. A lot, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the herring that was sent to the factories was the herring that uh, wasn't good enough for human consumption. Um, there were sometimes uh, so many boats waiting to be unloaded that uh, they needed to wait maybe for two days yeah. in the harbour. So the herring basically just got bad by waiting. So it was sent here along with the hats and the guts from the, from the factories. Okay. And uh, yeah, here I they made herring oil and herring meal. This is a replica, as we say, but these are the original machines. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And they are huge. They are huge. <laughs> and uh, the, the factories, they were, uh, uh, if you compare them to the salting stations, they were completely different. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were a tourist uh, in that era, you can walk around the piers and you can watch uh, the women work and stuff like that. Yes. But uh, this was more closed off. And uh, in here it was really noisy. Yeah. It was extremely smelly. I was going to say the smell must have been yeah. unbearable. And it was, uh, it was just dangerous if you didn't know your way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, with these machines, you wouldn't want to fall in or near any of them. Yeah, that's true. It is absolutely somewhere that I would recommend that you come to see. There is much to recommend this beautiful part of North Iceland anyway, but if you are here, then definitely spare some time to come to the Herring Era Museum. We have fairly briskly, I think, been around the three main buildings, but there is, as you've said, Daniel, there's another 
another building yeah. uh, on the estate as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll head in there and have a look. Yeah, let's do that. This building started off in Russia and then it went on a tour of, of Iceland. Yeah, uh, from Russia it was uh, moved to Tarklafjörður and uh, from Tarklafjörður it was, uh, well, yeah, from Tarklafjörður it went to uh, Akureyri and it was uh, in use in those places and in 2014 it ended up here and uh, we are really looking forward to, to finish this, uh, this house off because we will have a, a, a new exhibition in here uh, we will have a great storage for our our, yeah. our things and uh, and a coffee shop. Hopefully, hopefully next year. It's in very Icelandic colours, a muted sort of yellow beige colour. It it doesn't look like a building that started life in in Russia. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, I believe it didn't look exactly like this in Russia, but the, in Tarnovir they they changed it uh, yeah. a bit. Norwegian spot the house. And uh, they moved it to Tarnafjörður, probably, probably because, uh, I mean, there wasn't much wood in Iceland. No. So uh, that's probably uh, one of the reasons. Yeah. It's a sizable building and it's going to make an excellent addition to the estate, I guess, of this museum. We're in May, just as we record this conversation. We have uh, opening, opening hours from May till end of September. Um, but we are open f by an appointment uh, the rest of the year. Yeah. So, but we are getting uh, groups and, and, and tourists here all year round. And all are set against the stunning backdrop that forms what you see when you come into this part of North Iceland. There is a website, of course, if people want to find out more. Yeah, it's uh, sealed.is, S-I-L-D.is, or Herringera Museum. I think we'll go, we'll go with sealed punteris. That's probably yeah, one of the, yeah. the, the easier ones to go for. Daniel, thank you very much. Daniel Pieter Danielson for talking me through and taking me around the three, soon to be four buildings of the Herring Era Museum in Siglifier there. This is Ruv English and you can get in touch with us anytime. We are English at ruv.is. Listening to the Roof English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is/english.